You're listening to Conversion Nations, the podcast that helps conversion optimizers overcome challenges they face with their experimentation programs. Brought to you by Effective Experiments, the workflow and project management software helping optimizers make experimentation a core part of their business. Scale up your testing program with a centralized solution and document all your research, ideas, experiments, and results in one place. Learn more and request your free trial by visiting EffectiveExperiments.com. And now, your host, Manuel da Costa. Hello to everyone joining. This is Manuel da Costa from Conversion Nations. Now, this, uh, we're going to get started fairly soon. We're just waiting for people to join um, since we've only just started the webinar. But I know a lot of you are on. Um, so before we, we start talking, <laughs> what I'd like you to do is if you can just uh, jump on the chat, uh, say a quick hi, tell us where you're joining from. And um, just so I know that I'm not talking to thin air, uh, that has happened in the past. What about us? Well, <laughs> you as well. Well, I'll be talking to you guys. But do you remember that time when we did that um, Facebook live thing, Tim, and I was I was broadcasting yeah, yeah. it, but to my your own page and, no, and nobody saw it yes and nobody saw it <laughs> and then it took us another five minutes to kind of get going from there so I'm panelists tim and val my regular guests uh this year on conversion nations so we're, we're kind of wrapping up the year wrapping up the decade thank you for joining me again absolutely thanks for having us yeah glad, it's good. glad to be here yeah and and how, how's your year been so far busy <laughs> busy um yeah it's uh just uh last couple of months have been pretty hectic my wife was um, rushed to hospital and then i was in hospital and so i'm just been haven't stopped for the last couple of weeks but yeah overall it's been a very positive year for for the business good for the family um you know my daughter's doing well with swimming class and stuff like that so no, it's been been a bumper year to be honest i think we might be able to, on to break some records for the business Nice, nice. What about you, Val? I actually just hit the one-year mark of being at Search Discovery. Um, so this year was a year of growth. Um, I think it took me about three months to hit my stride, um, going from an in-house conversion rate optimization, digital analytics role to uh, this side. Um, I hadn't used those context switching muscles in quite some time, <laughs> but it's been awesome. I've learned so much and I love working with such a strong team of people who challenge me and that I, I learned from. It's been, uh, it's been an awesome year. Nice. So let's have a look and see where people are joining from. So we've got people from Michigan, Corey, hi. And we've got people from Cleveland. Uh, we have someone from Allentown, Pennsylvania. And then London, Pierre from London, Cleveland. Uh, we've got New York, Jessica. Hi, uh, Nina as well from New York. Class hi, pass. Nina. Hey, Nina. Uh, we've got Dennis van der Hayden from Spain in the house. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Dennis. Ooh, hey, Dennis. <laughs> and then Raghav from Warner Media Atlanta. Welcome, Seb. Hey, Seb. How are you doing? And and Javi uh, from uh, Javier from um, from Spain, who actually sent over a question, which we're going to we're going to address and kick off this this webinar with. Uh, and then we've also got uh, Julian from Amsterdam. So yeah, welcome guys. I'm, I'm glad you're all here uh, spending your time with us. And please feel free to you know, uh, add, add your questions in there um, because we want this to be an interactive session. We've got some talking points, but we really want this session to be about you. 
uh, you're the CROs out here, and we want we want to answer your questions and and your, uh, t um, address your thoughts. So let, let's let's kick off. Right, the, the the webinar is is titled "The Past and Present of CRO, uh, Present and Future of CRO," and um, what I really want to talk about is how has CRO evolved over the last over this decade that we're in right now and what it's going to look like in the upcoming decade. A lot is going to change, right? So uh, Javi actually sent me an email the other day, and he said, SEO and CRO seem to have parallel lives so far. Both were born in order to improve user experience and were grown by innovative minds. And then they became popular, uh, and dark patterns showed up, right? And we all did some black hat SEO tricks in 2008. Uh, then anyone could become an SEO or a CRO consultant in a few days. Uh, they could all promise quick wins, and then it became hard to gain credibility. And SEO is now in better shape, but it was a long journey. And in CRO, we're walking the same path, and it, could, it seems that we're in, a, in the worst part of it right now. Quick wins, everyone doing CRO and A-B testing. Do you agree? And if so, do you think it'll take us some years for us to be relevant in some ways? So yeah, let's start with that because I feel that that kind of puts us in in the frame of mind of what what people are thinking. Right but we've we've had that conversation many times, haven't we? We have, yeah, we have. Parallel for for SEO and kind of the fight because like it, it, I would argue SEO is still not out of that hole yet. There is it's it's maybe stratified a bit where you've got good guys doing what they can and you've got some very talented people, very technically able people who are specialising in the pieces that you need. Um, but the the bulk of the market, the volume of the market, is still kind of your low entry point snake oil, you know, poor promising, poor delivery, which makes an awful lot of the clients very wary of buying. Um, they've been burnt one, two, three, four times before, and they um, it means that the people who do want to um, get involved are, are cautious when they're purchasing. So uh, I think SEO still has got that area. I think there, there is now maybe a bit of a, an air gap between the bottom level and kind of the, the technically good and the client education has improved to the point where people can spot the, the poor sales. But yeah. there's new people coming into the market all the time. The small businesses finding the budget or finding they need to compete on SEO and PPC all the time and they're easy prey. And that yeah. is literally how they're seen. So I think SEO still got some of that. And we've talked before about going, well, the best option we've got is prevention. You know, if we can educate the clients, if we can educate the, the, the good providers, we don't give much oxygen for the guys to come in. It's quite hard to fake on the CRO side. You, you, know, guy, you, you win by your numbers or you know, process. And therefore, we should have a better chance. Whereas kind of like, oh, I don't know. It must be Google's fault. Gives you a get out of jail free card on the SEO side. Um, but yeah, I think we're there. I, I would disagree as well with the, the one point is... Um, I don't think we're at the worst of it yet. If we're following that SEO pattern, I think we are just starting to see that mass majority of oh, people really? saying, me too. I've spent most of the year talking to kind of SEO agencies. I speak to do with those guys a lot. And more and more of those are going, oh, yeah, we do CRO too now. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the, that kind of me too side of things as, as a market, it's still coming through. And as much as there are people, practitioners in the CRO space, because we live and breathe that, who are pushing the game on, the average, I think, is still kind of bubbling around the middle. And there are, you know, there's a base of knowledge there which is getting shared well. I think we are establishing some good patterns and there are some things which aren't just black box 
dependent upon somebody's algorithm, which we can work with. But I think we've got some way to go to say we're safe from following the same path as SEO. And I think we've still got a lot more people coming in who will, whether consciously or not, mess it up for people. Um, they yeah. will they will disappoint clients. They will overstep their ability. And I think we've we've very much still got that to go. But is that because CRO is being sold as this really quick and easy way of doing things that you then attract, well, people trying to move from wherever they are in digital to, to becoming CRO consultants, but not knowing the full picture and just trying to push the service out there? Yeah, I think you see that with anything, don't you? Like, I don't think that's unique to CRO. Yeah, okay. I, I, exactly. I, I don't. I, I, the quick wins and get me there quickly has always been. It's always tempting. Yeah, we've just had a recent election where you know, perhaps overpromising and not being able to deliver still wins. Um, but the the uh, the situation I think is I think your point about transferring I think is the case. Whereas CRO was kind of the the redheaded stepchild of the industry. What the hell is this stuff? It's not proper marketing. It's not anything to do with business. Now most businesses know of it and and at least to some level are trying to do something with it for a young person coming in with a digital career or somebody transferring sideways from a different place it's attractive it, it, you know you can get good results it's got kind of a good reputation compared to maybe other disciplines um so it's getting an awful lot of influx of people who are going to be careful our phrases um are perhaps not as able to do what they're claiming as they think they are I'm not going to say it's malicious. I just, it's very easy to get out of your depth. It's a Dunning-Kruger. It is it's a Dunning-Kruger factor there. There's people who are kind of like, they're not without um, skills. They're not without intelligence. They are not without some of the things that are needed for doing this process. It's not like we're kind of sat here as super geniuses. Um, this is something everybody could learn. It's just the point where they're pitching is not where they at the point where they're able to deliver. And I think that is inevitably going to lead to disappointment. And some people would deal with that by trying harder. And some people will deal with that by trying to cover up and lying. And, and that's that sliding doors moment for, for the industry in terms of kind of how much of a reputation, how well that plays out over the next few years. Yeah. What's your take on that Val? Uh, well, first of all, I'm incredibly surprised that you have a pessimistic view, Tim. <laughs> totally didn't think I was going to walk into that with you having that POV. <laughs> um, no, I feel like there's a lot of things. Practical, practical, not pessimistic, practical. <laughs> Give us the positive uh, outlook now, Val. Balance well, I mean, I think that this is crazy. I think I'm a firm believer that there's a lot of things that you can plot on that Gartner hype curve where you have like the inflated expectations, the trough of disillusionment, right? So I think that this is, I'm glad that we're in this phase now because what we're about to walk into is like our next phase is like that delight and that productivity part of the curve, right? And I think that the people who rise to the top um, in those phases are the ones who stand out during these like really hyperbolic phases, right? So um, I think that there are a ton of bad practices out there um, and people who think that it's easier than it is. But I mean, I blame a lot of that on the rhetoric from the tools, right? Um, I think that that's how a lot of those have been pushed over the years. Um, so I'm excited that people have an appetite, that they're aware of what this is. And I think that the people who approach it the right way um, are going to rise to the top. And so I'm super excited for when we turn this corner. And I don't think we're not the last ones to experience this, right? I think that um, we're just coming over that hump of the heightened expectations or the inflated expectations from data science. 
yeah, I think, think that they're going to experience that right behind us. When it gets real, people are going, the good ones are going to stick and, and fly. Yeah. And yep. now, so I wasn't, being, I wasn't being particularly negative, but the question was, do you see the parallel with SEO? Oh, and yeah. Like, yeah. I, to I yeah. totally do. And, and, and I, I think yeah. the other fans right behind us for sure. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's that's the cautionary tale we need to kind of be aware of. But I, I'd agree. I mean, if we look at it's interesting you raised the vendors. So give Dennis a wave, hello. Um, yeah. but <laughs> other vendors are available. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think part of that is also kind of the Dunning Kruger part as well. And and uh, you know, if we think back, I see a lot of reason for hope. You know, if the, if the premise is kind of the, like the last ten years, um, ten years ago, the people who are now uh, teaching, starting companies who are doing webinars, who are writing books, um, they were making the same mistakes as the young kids are making now. And the difference was they were making those mistakes and there was nobody there to guide them any different. And we're already seeing that the expectation, the entry level point is already higher. It's partly yeah. why you see people concerned, um, uh, concerned about things is because they know, it's Denning Kruger again, they know that it's not right. Whereas naively in 09, 2010 i was quite happily calling tests which you know georgie would kick me for because the stats were completely <laughs> wrong like yeah. i i know this but i learned that and this is how you learn those lessons and then so i think now because there's a minimum standard because there is education out there it's a slightly higher barrier which helps with what we're just talking about but it also means that they the we're already seeing a com compounded effect from the, the lessons we've learned from the experience we've got in the industry we're seeing that people are getting better and they're getting better faster and so everything that was a slog and took years to to learn and make mistakes on it cost lots of money and in some cases people's jobs. I'm not saying that can't happen, but there are ways to avoid that now. And I think yeah, there's a lot more knowledge around from people positive, that have already yeah. done that through trial and error, like us. And just like we're going to make a we're going to make a different set of mistakes going forward. But the ones that we've already made, I don't think that should be happening right now. And again, I think it's a mix of like industry knowledge as well, whether people coming in are aware of all, all of these things and whether clients are also aware of it. I mean, you're on the, on the agency side, Val. Uh, I mean, clients also sometimes come in with, you know, heightened expectations of what CRO can deliver. And, and, and you know, even back in my consulting days, I, I would be uh, treading this fine line of, of saying, yes, I can definitely do it to like, no, that's completely you know, rubbish. We can't really do it this way. Uh, so yeah, I think I think for for CROs, especially the inexperienced ones that are coming in, it it is a it it, it is a tough time. But as you say, Val, looking forward um, as we go over this hump, it will weed out a lot of the well, hopefully weed out a lot of the charlatans and keep yeah. the right ones. That'll uh, happen in the game. One of the quick things I want to mention, though, one of the things that I think is a little bit unique potentially to the CRO field. I know that we've talked about this in a past episode is one of the soft skills or one of the personality traits that I find very common amongst people in CRO is the level of humility that they have approaching this role because how often your expectations are wrong, right? So um, I think that like even what you were talking about, Tim, like being transparent about the way we used to do things wasn't so great. There was um, Tom Wessling did a presentation at Conversion Jam where he put up a slide and said, this is what I was doing 10 years ago. I was reporting that there was a winner on Saturday different from winners during the week. And he was like, that was just a false positive because of a dip in traffic. He's like, that was some bad stuff. Like, so we're so ready, willing, and able to talk about the mistakes if it's constructive in the way of educating. And so I think that that's 
that's pretty cool that um, you find that quite a bit in, in our industry. I don't think you see that everywhere. Yeah, I think humility is key in this. You, you cannot, I mean, experimentation is all about putting your own ego on the line, right? I, I think that this could work and then just putting it out there to test it out. There's no, let's test it out because I want to prove a point. And that, I think that mindset itself determines what makes, in my opinion, makes a good conversion optimizer. Someone that puts a test out there, not to prove a point, but to actually say, Let's see what happens. Let's learn. Let's from, learn. Yeah, let's yeah, learn. I, I, think, I think that's key. I mean, to be honest, if you did come in with that attitude, then if you, it's going to kick it out of you quite quickly. <laughs> you can come in thinking, I know everything. It's the other part of that kind of curve is, is you very quickly learn that things that you are basing, you can go, oh, almost, almost guarantee you this is the winner. You end up going, but I want to test. Why? Because sometimes it's not. And that, does kind of pop your bubble even if your ego does start to grow a little bit you stop stop you know just keep testing you, you your hype gets destroyed on a fairly regular basis yeah <laughs> it takes yeah. a particularly singular kind of confidence to 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 see all those results and go no it's the tests that are wrong it's yeah it's um uh, maybe i i i think that's kind of it it's kind of chicken and egg like does this business attract people who accept that more readily or if you come in with whatever kind of mentality you end up having to be like that anyway, because the reality kind of hits whatever ego you had when you came in. Yeah. Don't know. But we're talking about talking about experimenting and, you know, either to prove a point or, or to, or to learn from it. I think one part that optimizers need to also focus on is the research and stuff that comes in the learnings, the customer insights that comes way before it, because I feel there's a lot of emphasis on, on the actual testing, um, element itself, the A-B testing element of, uh, itself. But it seems like a lot less emphasis on, hey, let's learn from customer uh, co uh, the yeah. customer behavior. Let's see what we can learn from our customers. And then that carries forward to your testing as well, because from your test, you're like, okay, what can we learn from our customers you know, with this test? Rather than, hey, I just got like an X amount of uplift, right? And I feel that that should be what a good optimizer should be doing that so i'd i'd, I'd have that and you know, to talk about what's coming in the next decade i don't know if that's coming in the next decade but i'd like to see that yeah like, rather than being kind of like what was the headline win for this test dude like yeah. how much quicker do we get out the door how, how many fewer mistakes do we make in coding how many people had to work less crunch hours to get the thing done and you know how much better was our research or instead of doing people in a case study going here's what the end result was for xyz it's like here's a great piece of research that actually generated 15 tests why because we found the whole area and we did that and like the effort that we spend on everything other than the final score in the tool yeah is actually what makes the final score in the tool replicable i'm not saying it's gonna always be good but you know why and can push that direction and at the moment it's not celebrated in the culture of kind of the, the cro space we've always led on the headline of 300 percent uplift from <laughs> orange button then it was saying epic wins um that's kind of, and I think that culturally could shift, but right now that's what I'd like to see change because I think as it's maturing and it is maturing, we've started talking about process, whereas process was barely mentioned you know, 12 years ago. Um, when people get better at that, they you see the success because their businesses grow. You see the people, how are they doing that with their team? It's like, because yeah. they nailed their inefficiencies. They, they use the same process. Um, so I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that we start to look at that holistic piece. And I suspect that if that is the case, will it actually see 
what we see in SEO. And like I said, the, starting off with the SEO side of things, there are some really good SEOs, but there's different ones for different skills. So you end up with they're good at technical SEO. They're good at kind of niche role. neuro yeah. linguistic kind of niche stuff working out. These guys are particularly good at kind of uh, what they call reputation recovery. These guys are good at outbound content generation, which I think is the current euphemism for link getting. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, there, there are different skills within that. And there are certainly generalists and agencies where they provide all of that. But as, as that has stratified, you now get guys who are, and girls, particularly girls actually, who are specialized in kind of hardcore um, recovery systems, people who are really good at unpicking the mess that somebody else has broken, <laughs> probably because I've had a lot of practice, it's been a lot of that. And I, that's why I can see there being research specialists and UX specialists, much as we've had in other areas, yeah. like product development research, etc. But we keep talking about this team and the process and how many should be on this. And I would hope in the next 10 years that that's growth and that success of the process and the people side of things will start to kind of go look here's how we start to join multiple skills together because the biggest problem we've got at the moment is we we are largely populated by generalists you know you have to know a little bit about everything but most of the teams are a team of one or a team of two mm-hmm. yeah i don't think that will work uh, in the it's, next second that was actually that's actually one of my predictions i feel like it, the... it's not going to scale you know, if you want to do it fast enough to make the opportunity, if you're not, if you want to be able to be the best person in each of those things, you you can't be. I, every time that question comes up, I wave my hand and say, "You do not want me coding your tests." I mean, I can, but I'm slow. You know, I've got different skills, and I know that. But I think we need to start accepting people who are perhaps this is a better stats person, this is a better wireframe person, this is a better research person, and how they glue it all together is the win, rather than look how many big numbers I made this month. Okay. Yeah. That's actually one of the biggest education points, Manuel, when we're kicking off a new like program engagement at Search Discovery that I've learned is people have some goals in mind of what they want to get out of this engagement. And a lot of times the way that it comes across as I have an expectation for a certain velocity for a certain number of tests, like success to me is a hundred tests a month or whatever their goal is. And one of the things that we thought I, I love to educate on it. I think it's actually a pretty easy sell. Once you sit down and have the conversation is like, listen, if the goal of this team is to help de-risk decisions that you're making and to help you make smarter choices that you have to make, regardless of whether or not I'm here, then there's a lot of different ways that we can approach it. And it's not always running a test cycle through an A-B testing tool. And so um, that point, I think, uh, like opens a lot of minds to yeah. how can yeah. we learn more, how can we do more, especially in areas where they're traffic constricted, right? So yeah. um, that's a big, a big aha moment and a lot of, uh, I've seen that a lot this year. I, I think optimizers need to have that gumption as well to go out there and say, you know, ask the, the, the stakeholder, ask the client, what does success actually look like? Because success, as you say, they may think success is 100 tests, but it isn't 100 tests. It's what do you, what's the benefits from these features, right? It's, it's the same thing. We're not trying to sell uh, features, we're trying to sell benefits. And it, it's just like that. Because what I find is if you lead with number of tests and number of test successes, you firstly, you can't predict, that, right? You can't predict how many tests are going to be successful. You can't predict the win rate. And whoever says that, seriously, it's t- nearly 2020. <laughs> They're going to the drop off. Out. They're going to drop the off. Out, right? you, you can totally predict the win rate. I mean, you won't be right. You won't be right. <laughs> yeah, very, you won't be right very often, but you can totally. So. There okay, we go. So, yes. Yeah. 
I have a, um, an artifact from the past that I want to uh, share and show you Ooh. guys that I was thinking about in preparing for this podcast. You should test that. I've got that as well. Yeah. <laughs> the orange with the screen buttons. On the yeah. cover. Yeah. <laughs> By the okay. way, this copy was signed and I acted like a total fangirl and could barely speak when Chris Goward signed this, just to be clear. <laughs> I, I, I definitely have got that in the pilot books behind me and I've got oh, about a dozen, well, yeah. dozen more like, like that, but uh, I'm not going to unpack them because all the uh, Christmas presents will fall over. So, uh, <laughs> but aren't yes. we so glad we're past button colors? <laughs> no, I think, I think I've, Dennis I've, I've was talking I've, about I've it, literally so. got a test live at the moment where we chose the button color. <laughs> I mean, we did a bunch of other stuff too, but the, the, the contrast was important on this page, and, it, and it's yeah, that's where so that's, that's, where that's the difference, though, right? Yeah. That's that's the grow up right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the the thing I was talking about was uh, going back to research and stuff because, uh, and as Val said, it, it's really challenging your stakeholders to think bigger, really challenging your clients to think bigger, because if you don't and you agree to those hundred tests or whatever those metrics are that is put in front of you. And if those tests fail, as they will, that'll become a stick that they'll hit you, hit your head on, right? Yeah. So that's, I, I think, focused. yeah, you need to really get, you know, challenge your, uh, your stakeholders to think bigger. So that, that's my take on that research becoming much more important um, rather than those headline numbers, as you put it. Yeah, and I think, I think if we're gonna take that the next step is at the moment, those headline numbers are just abstractions. Yeah. So we're we're arguing with people. You find ourselves arguing stats with people going, "Oh, this doesn't fit." It's like, well, that goes back to the research piece, and that you should be looking at how does the business make money, because yeah. how they make money, what counts as profit, what what works for them as a business model, should dictate the areas you should explore, and then you can look for the levers that can then affect those. Yeah. So we will get to the point where we are. It's not going to be cause and effect, but we're looking at kind of the. Um, <clears throat> looking at the part we can play within a wider team. And like that was saying, like we're, we're looking to enable people. And I, I would also hope that we, we are able to, as the conversion experts, as the optimization experts, because conversion is kind of what we're getting away from, I think. Can we leave um, CRO behind, please? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we should also perhaps turn around and say, I'm also not just an AB test provider. You know, yeah. 10, years, 10 oh, years ago, 10 years ago, MVT was an upsell. Oh, yeah. So people were going, why? It's the better test. And then kind of people realized that they didn't necessarily use MVT any better than a, a poorly structured AB. And there was all kinds of problems with the maths and the vendors were kind of charging extra for it. So we had the weird situation where Maximize, we, we had MVT, it was bundled into the price. So I, I would get people kind of going, well, we haven't had an MVT this month. Okay, well, the, the situation didn't call for it. There wasn't a test. We've got enough traffic. Yeah, you, you have, but the... the hmm, and you'd get in trouble for not doing the big tests and just giving them cheap tests. And that's, that thankfully has gone away. In fact, yeah. if anything, MVT has become kind of like, oh, why are you even bothering? It's like time and place has, has its, its, per, its use. But sometimes, as Val just said, sometimes the best thing you want to do to optimize is not test. You know, we have this, Arnett will be happy to say, you know, if it's broken, fix that stuff. Yeah, um, go do it. <laughs> fix that stuff. If you've got something which Research. is... yeah. It's fixable through research or user voice, or if there's something where you've got uh, usability, usability problems, mm -hmm. if there's issues, then a test may find the better solution for what you want to do. But there may be a dozen things you do before you get to that point, which will improve optimization and improve the user experience that don't need testing at all. Yeah. They just, or they did, or if, if 
engineering had no cost. Hello, Corey. Uh, if if um, we had no traffic cost, if there was no other opportunity cost from not running kind of growth tests, <coughs> excuse me, then yeah, by all means, test everything. But it'd be really, really slow. And actually, the the pragmatic choice of this would be good to test and this wouldn't, we already do that on a roadmap. And I think pushing back and saying, telling you you can't have this test now is not me saying the idea is not worthwhile. It's just there may be better ways to achieve that or the test is the way it's currently constructed with what we currently know will not answer the question you want answered. So let's do something that is also still positive, but maybe isn't burning up bandwidth and dev time to do something we know is unlikely to give yeah. you the business result you want. But there are things you can do. It's like, oh my God, my SEO is going terrible. Okay. Well, highly competitive space with a very specific term, and you've got a very three week window you want to make a difference. Have you can I introduce to my friend PPC? Oh, we want the free traffic. But you're never going to be able to hit a specific term in a three week window and then just turn it off like that. That is what yeah. PPC or email could do for you. That's what a social campaign could do for you. Hub and spoke multi campaign. But I want to be top on the on the Googles. But it's not the right thing for you. And just as that sort of advice is appropriate to the need, I think the same thing. We advise the right use of the right tool at the right time. That means it's less reliant upon that one test being the biggie because we know why yeah. we're doing it. And it's to give us a result that tells us when the next step is or to validate an idea that we've already explored as much as we can without testing. Yeah. Cool. Um, Val, I want to spend some time on this end of year report that CXL has put out. So I believe that you've gone through it. And you've pulled out some interesting insights. So I think we should spend some time on that because after that, I want to talk about some really heavy stuff, uh, which involves GDPR and cookies Ooh. and stuff. So that's going to become a bit heavy. So let's look at the fun stuff first. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, this ties into something you were saying, Tim, <clears throat> a little bit earlier, um, that 10 years ago, we weren't focusing on process. And by the way, I'm using Royal We here because I, full disclosure, not in CRO 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was spring chicken fresh out of college and still at market research but i can still refer to this uh this report that has like six years under its belt i think which by the way cxl thank you so much for always putting this out this is incredible um 45 of people in the survey don't have a structured process still however later in the document it says that it is the number one pain point so i'm curious about that one like if people are saying this is we don't have this, it's not documented, it's not structured, it's kind of like choose your own adventure, but it, we recognize and acknowledge that this is the biggest problem in our program. What's going on? There? Can I tell you something on this? Because I have actually seen this firsthand and just full disclosure, I run effective experiments and talk to a ton of uh, customers out there, potential customers, and every one of them has the same story. We don't have a process or we have this ad hoc process that we, we didn't really give it a second thought. And as Tim said earlier in this, what, that process is something that's gonna become important moving forward. I think what, what's happening in the, in the industry, there's a, um, it, what's it, a cart before the horse situation where they've jumped right in. They, they don't think process is important. Again, a bit of that Dunning-Kruger kicking in, and they're like, you know, let, let's just wing it. Let's just well, see it's how it not, goes. If, if all the winds keep raining down, somebody else can yeah. worry about the admin. Yeah, we, we don't need to worry about the admin stuff. So they, they go through that, and then sooner or later, that problem starts rearing its head, and then it compounds, and it gets worse and worse. And when someone says, I don't have a process, I find that really funny because 
the experimentation process, the optimization process is fairly standard. It's not, there's nothing different about the way you do it or the way I do it. There might be nuances, but you're still going from research to ideation and hypothesis and prioritization and test planning and test. Um, but we do, we still do. We still do that that thing where we go out and sacrifice a black cockle at midnight, right, to make sure the test works. Is that still doing yeah, that that's step? to pray for the test. Just, yeah. just, just, to, just to make <laughs> that's sure. That's your we... process, Tim. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> but man, well, I hear you. But like, you can't just walk up to it. Like, if you're new, if you're a new role and you're hired as your first team of one in CRO, you can't walk in and be like, "Here's the process, everyone. Like, we're gonna start with some ideas, and then we're gonna go here because you need to acknowledge like all the resources you need." To make this happen, what are the existing sprint agile release cycles? What JIRA systems do I need access to? Like, I've noticed that like the consequence of missing the right product backlog refinement meeting by one day can delay your test a quarter. Yeah. So it's not just like walking in and being like, here's what we're gonna do. Like you need to ingrain yourself into a lot of existing yeah. unless you have a full stack team, which like who's that like raise your hand like i would love to meet you like where where are you working but like i've noticed that not making yourself a cohesive part of existing processes is the kiss of death yeah. because you're never going to get up to the right speed you want and getting the tests out when you need them to be live especially if there's a lot of like promotional type testing things like that yeah but I, th I think that's down to the same um definition thing as the people say we don't have a process we don't really have an established process you do otherwise you wouldn't be doing anything it's what, what you have is that you don't have a planned process so you don't have something where you can repeat what you're doing and you can't quantify it so yeah i mean val's right and Corey popped up about engineering as well you need to know what fits this situation yeah and then you develop the steps that are required to basically repeat what you want to do repeat what you need to do within those limitations yeah. and it may be you've got a full stack team everything run at full power you've got all the traffic in the world that's a very different process to running through the classic kind of research and test loop that we talked about but it it still has to kind of join the other pieces if it's just you on your site doing that alongside every other hat that you wear including marketing and ppc and your social posting then there may well be a process you may well not write it down because it's all in your head but you're probably going to go slower and so the the issue seems to come is that people get as far as they can with winging it with spreadsheets and tacking themselves onto existing how we work stuff here's how the devs like to work here's how the designers like to work here's how the marketing team like to work and i'll try and squeeze in and then trying to make those kind of well just like if you miss this deadline by just one day it lags suddenly out by two weeks why because that's the next time before you've got a dev slot available and so oh, i was only two hours late with the thing doesn't matter, Mrs. Slot. Next train's not along for two more weeks. And that's kind of simple example. You do that with ten things at once, and that that first one that missed the first slot knocks the next one out, knocks the next one out, knocks the next, and you end up with the test that was due to be done in three weeks' time. It's now not done for six months. And you're like, what happened there? And it's a cascading critical path that is but again, we're talking project management. And this yeah. is the thing. We are talking project management, program management. And people don't want to do that because they want to be CROs. And it's 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 that kind of like I don't want to do my admin. And I had this conversation the other day, uh, Manuel, and people kind of going, I don't want to do admin. How much time do you spend on admin per day? Oh, I don't know, an hour. Okay. But then you ask them what they do to get a test live, and they have to go, well, I have to do some research, I have to look at analytics, I have to go to this meeting, I have to send these emails, I have to go wireframe version one revisions, wireframe version two revisions, wireframe version, right, off to dev, dev then says, can you do this? Then back to the analytics team. And it's like, okay, so that's not admin. But at all of those points, you've had to talk to somebody, 
establish what's got to happen and somebody's written that down or sent an email about it or had a slack conversation about it and so these are all happening you're spending time doing this already yeah because otherwise it like some kind of telepathic technique has yet to be developed but there's there's some human interaction on the way okay the process then just needs to be when you've written that down put it somewhere where you can find it again next time because if you have to do exactly that same round the houses and go around to everybody's desk next time you get test live and have the same conversations and go back to the test when it bounces out of QA and say what did we agree what was supposed to look what was it supposed to look like that's time wasted the time they're wasting is not the admin because what they perceive as admin is talking to people and communicating with people and getting stuff done the time wasted is chasing up the stuff that they never organized in a way to maybe do so oh no i've got to pull a report that says how many tests are ran last month why isn't that on your desktop why is that number just not there that's key you should know that you know how many tests are currently live on this page we've had a complaint from the call center and which tests could be that be clustering in um i have to go check in the tool and go see and then go see exclusion and what time zone was this in that sort of stuff is not admin but that burns hours and yeah. hours of a week and it's actually the failure of admin and process that causes those kind of this shouldn't happen inefficiency that they happen left right and center so when people complain about i don't have a process what they mean is i get blindsided by these sort of things that i shouldn't be getting blindsided by fix it for me and then you tell them well the answer is do you admin and they go don't want to do admin it's like mm, okay yeah i don't i don't want to be fat but i don't want to regulate my calories or go down the gym okay well there, there's there's only so many levers we can pull in this scenario <laughs> which of these do you want to pull less i mentioned this in we mentioned this in the second to last episode that we we did so there, there's if you if you're new to conversion nations there's the podcast is on uh, apple Podcasts and and spotify uh, there's an episode how CRO project ma uh, program management is different to standard project management. And then there's uh, the last episode that we did, Val, which you joined in on, which was about experimentation ops revisited. And in that, we clearly talked about, you know, all that stuff shouldn't be in the CRO's domain in the first place, right? Because it's not the best use of their time. There needs to be someone dedicated to that, someone that, as you, I think you call them the testing manager, Val. Yeah. And yep. the, the, in our definition, we call them the experimentation ops manager, uh, completely removed from a CRO manager who, again, you know, talk about titles and stuff, and I'm going to go down that route, but someone that actually oversees the orchestration of the experimentation program from an efficiency and a performance point of view and, you know, getting things slotted in and finding answers and getting everything um stored so it's easily found and and people know where those bottlenecks are before they've even hit um so if you've not listened to that episode go back and have a listen to those um two episodes episode seven and eight of this season uh sorry val I, look, I, look I at you remember it look at you remembering the episode numbers well I think <laughs> it's probably eight or nine i don't know i, I was putting it down, down i remember we talked about it but oh yeah well i gotta put it up in itunes and stuff i've got to do the uploading so yeah I have to remember it. <laughs> Fair enough. I just turn up and look pretty. Sorry, Val, you were going to say. No, I was just going to, I want to give you a positive side, something that I was impressed by um, from the CXL report. Um, what percentage do you guys think are running server-side tests? 30%? Yeah, and 25, 30. 45. Good. 
Yep. So it's 55%. I don't know if this was like this naturally mutually exclusive, but it's 55% client side, 15% have done both. Um, and so 30%, oh, sorry, 15 service side, 30% both. So 45 running service side. I was pretty impressed by that. And like, again, I'm not saying impressed because I think server side is more sophisticated like, than client side, like how you're saying earlier, Tim, like MVT isn't yeah, level yeah. two <laughs> of AB testing. Yeah, yeah. I'm impressed because it takes you know, a significant investment in a tool, whether you're building it yourself or you're buying it, it takes a whole different set of resources to get that out the door. There's no like, well, let me just, you know, pop on Stack Overflow and see if I can use some important tags <laughs> to get this to work the way I want to. Like, it, it doesn't work like that. So it, it, to me, it demonstrates a different type of investment that I find very encouraging. Yeah. And it also means that there's a more sophisticated level of testing potentially that's tied deeper into the business, right? It's not just CSS selectors and WYSIWYG editors anymore, right? So I thought I was pretty encouraged by that. That's another yeah, artifact I mean, we need to leave behind in, in this decade, WYSIWYG editors, right? Yeah, it's pe 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 people Please. just need, yeah, leave behind. <laughs> you need to learn to code or hire somebody who can, I think. Drag and drop is, is, is make some, or, the WYSIWYG guys need to get it so it, it writes really good code, but then you'd need to know the platform. Loads it up, right? It's just, it's not, it, you can't come at it from that end. I don't, you'd, you'd have to have, build a platform that was, you know, intended for, for people to be able to, to, to recode it like that. And that's, that's, I think, the next decade after where we're building <laughs> things. We're building things that are wholly API driven with the intention of testing from the ground up. I think it's encouraging. Uh, I haven't, haven't read the CXL report well, yet. What is the breakdown of, of the companies that have answered that? Um, are they are they more enterprise the ones that have answered the survey? Do you know what the breakdown is? SME SMBs enterprise and stuff or yeah, that's uh, in there. I think I can pull that up. I know it's about fifty percent agency, fifty percent in house. But let me look industry. Interesting. Yeah, because uh, it, I feel like server side seems much more suited to larger companies. I find. Uh, again, depending on the investment needed for that. There's a, there's a prerequisite, not necessarily in the tech. It's the it's the people. Um, and that's that's where I've got a little bit of kind of like, oh yeah, we've done server side and client side. Well, one, it's become much more zeitgeist to do server side stuff because the ones who have got to a certain point where they're limited by the client side tags have evolved to the point where they are needing to to do that mix and pull in business data. Yeah. Two, there's a bunch of people who aren't at that point but want to bandwagon jump. Well, we're doing server side too. Yeah, okay. Any particular reason? Because it's big and hot right now, the, MV, the MVT thing. Yeah. And then you've got people who maybe as vendors have got a vested interest in saying, hey, we've got a server-side tool that isn't strictly speaking much more than kind of, should we say, a, site, a split test redirect, which has been available as tech for the last 15, 20 years. Um, but it, it's been spun to be as a server-side tool. What they mean is you build it and we'll just we'll just redirect with a 302. But that's at least encouraging because people know there are more toys out there. And I think the the commitment it takes to do that properly does kind of show that there is dev resource rather than your one-man bands um, struggling. There is buy-in from the businesses to try and do better. And there is perhaps that starts the point where people are going, you know, clicks on a button are not the only thing by which we will judge success. You know, it's that impact on the user it's the attempt to do lifetime value i think that leads us into what's probably going to finish off this is that the other push for server side is because if you're first party controlling that data you're less exposed to the 
privacy issues with GDPR yeah. and ITP and the technical browser restrictions, yeah. um, CCPA and, and COBRA. Um, so I think that migration is also partly driven by that. Is that the, the, yeah. um, and I know we've got kind of, so we've had a very active chat this time. It feels a bit weird because I, I normally, like normally get people going, hi, and it's like there's a stream of kind of questions and points. But yeah, yeah, we've got, uh, yeah, and, and, but we've got, uh, Pierre is on, who's obviously a big privacy advocate. We've got Dennis from, from convert.com. Shall we, shall we bring them on now since we're talking about privacy? Yeah, yeah. We re revisit the, the CXL uh, thing after that. So uh, let me see what, what um, Dennis said. Okay, here's a question. Uh, Safari ITP, uh, Firefox ETP, Chrome and Microsoft Edge trying to fight for their users in their own way. In some way, they're assisting GDPR and CCPA laws on the technical side. Are our customers aware and how do we educate or prepare for this new future, moving to a cookie-less environment? And that's going to affect everyone, I suppose. It's like, uh, it's um, going to be a, a big challenge for all of us. So how, how do we foresee that? I know, I think Dennis says he's in a cafe. Uh, I could not find enough chocolate to shut up the entire cafe, apparently. <laughs> so he can't join us, but Pierre can join us. So I'm going to see if I can... I can upgrade him to, um, where are you, Pierre? Uh, I'm just looking for the attendee list. Um, can, you not, can you not do it from the chat? Yeah, that's one. I can't seem to find him in the list somehow, which is odd. Um, hold on. Pierre found enough chocolate for his kids. Can you, can you see uh, Pierre in the chat in the in the list of attendees? By I don't. Way? I can't. I see him in the chat, but I don't see him in the list. Yeah, I see him, and that's the same challenge I'm having. I see. I see Pierre. He is at P. Obviously, he's at P. Dennis. <laughs> but um, when I type it, it doesn't come up. That's really odd. I have no idea why that's happening. Uh, Pierre, do you want to just maybe use the chat to just type it in? I don't know why. We have some technical issues which we didn't foresee over here, um, which I don't know why. Or maybe try raising your hand on the on the chat thing. See if, if that works. Did he sign in, uh, sign in under his, his uh, GDPR name? <laughs> That's yeah. What it is. <laughs> yeah, that could probably be the reason. He's not, he's not allowed That's you to store cookies. <laughs> That's why you can't find him in the attendee list. Yeah. Okay, he says he's raising his hand. All right, let's see. How do I find that? More. Um, invite. No. Um, right, where's this hand thing gone now? Q&A, Q&A. Nope, nope. Maybe, can you use the Q&A thing to answer a question? And maybe we'll come back to you whilst I find you. So Val, let's go to the next point in the meantime. Otherwise, we'll spend and we'll, sure. we'll circle back onto this one. Uh, Pierre, in the meantime, oh, Q&A isn't working for you. Are you signed in properly or not? Because that's really odd. Blame the user. That's how to. <laughs> I'm blaming GDPR for this one. <laughs> Right, um, just really quick to go back to this, the question that you asked in terms of the <laughs> breakdown by industry. So the biggest chunk is 40% in that agency freelancer, which obviously spreads across industry, but then there's 28% e-commerce, 19% SaaS, 9% lead gen, 
2.6% publishing and media, and then 1.6 for nonprofit and government. So the e-commerce, SaaS, lead gen making up the, the majority of the pie here. So I think that right. that kind of fits in with your hypothesis around size. Of yeah, it's hard, it's hard to think about agencies because I know you guys search discovery, you, your clients, you know, on the larger enterprise end. So is that skewing things or not? I can't tell um, unless we kind of ask CXL to dig even deeper. Uh, well, maybe that that breaks other GDPR rules, but who knows? Season three, <laughs> episode one. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's revisit this, uh, this CXL report. Yeah. I saw something about personalization in the CXL report as well, which kind yeah. of ties in with something that Gartner put out recently. Yeah. So maybe you can uh, talk about that and see where we go. Uh, yeah, for sure. So the question was asking around uh, investment in personalization and 46% said, yes, this is something that I'm invested in. Um, and of the no's, 73% said that they were trying it, gonna try it in 2020. And of the 46% who said, yes, I am doing it, they said that they're going to be increasing their investment in 2020, which kind of goes against that other article that you mentioned, Manuel, yeah. uh, the Gardner prediction that by 2025, um, it was 80% of marketers will divest in personalization, as I, I think um, what the, the, fact, the factoid was that they, they put out there, um, saying that uh, blaming mostly the tech um, that it seems it's like a much harder investment. It's harder to identify the ROI, but the biggest blame is pointing a finger at the tech. So CXL report, obviously talking amongst a, an, an audience that has a program or is invested in testing, especially on the agency side, 50% of the population, but Gardner is saying broader brush that this is going to be an area where we look back in 2026 and say, why did we try? <laughs> yeah, and it just seems it's 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 surprising that they, they said that the ROI won't be then; it'll, it'll just be abandoned altogether by by twenty twenty five. And it, uh, I think we're getting Tim. Tim. Are we getting Inception Tim? Did we get a second Tim over here? No, <laughs> I just I just sent I just sent PA my link. So no, you shouldn't do that because I sent him a link. Oh, there we go. There you go. Oh, it worked. Tim. I, hey, I Back, back channel Slack technique, that still worked. So. I'm a double Tim, I apologize. There you go. <laughs> okay, I, I think it's all just a privacy ploy. That's what it is. He didn't want to have his name on screen. He was just hiding. He, he used a fake email as well. I saw that. It's not a fake email. It's an email that is allows people to... Um, um, so I know where the spam comes from. Yes, I, I, do, I do the same catch-all catch -all domain. Exactly, yeah. Um, um, it might be because I'm using Linux. It might be that Zoom is having a bad day, or we can blame the user, as Val said. <laughs> and let's all, all let, let, let be honest, given that they have had, that's most likely to be the situation. <laughs> well, so well, welcome, Pierre. I know we're going to have a, a, a longer discussion at some point about GDPR and testing and all that kind of stuff. But let's get your thoughts on the new next decade, the cookie-less decade, as, as Dennis um, I, I actually disagree it's going to be a cookie-less decade because okay. I disagree because of the strong name. I think it's going to be a trackerless, trackingless decade. And the reason I say that is that, <clears throat> sorry, you might hear uh, I'm recovering from a cold. Uh, <laughs> people use, historically have used the word cookie-less when they start talking about fingerprinting and things like that. 
uh, to still track people. What the what what consumers have done over the past you know ten years or so, increasingly was to start blocking the trackers. It's not to do with ad blocking, but it increased into blocking the analytics tags directly. I mean, I've measured that and I'm seeing the trend, and it's going up and to the right. It's it's a worldwide phenomenon. I can share some data. Uh, so that's what's happened. And in my view, the GDPR, uh, the draft e-privacy regulations, you know, the CCPA and all these laws around the world, you know, in Brazil and, you know, you know, coming up all over, is that the regulators and the lawmakers are actually catching up to where consumers already went. And in many ways, they're not enough. And so you see that on one side and then, you know, browsers, you know, they are the user agents. They are the agents of the user online. They represent the user. And organizations that don't have a vested interest in their browser taking care of the user's privacy concerns, of which there's only one that doesn't care, uh, you know, let's, let's be honest here, uh, they are actually taking active steps to mitigate that. Some, like Mozilla, are saying, you know, we're going to do outright blocking. Others, like Safari, you know, Apple, they're saying we are going to be a little bit more nuanced to it, where they do machine learning on the device itself. And, you know, at the end of the day, between the consumers, you know, installing extensions or using browsers that outright block, or the browser has things that messes with the data, you know, analytics and CRO and all of this, you know, you're getting less data and lower quality data. And I think that is the trend that's going to continue in the foreseeable future. Uh, what, what's the impact on on optimizers that that haven't moved to server side testing uh, or the ones that have? Who's going to be the most effect, affected in all of this? That's a very good question. It really depends. I mean, you, on the implementation, and you've talked about you know these two general buckets of it, right? At the end of the day, it boils down to what you're actually trying to do. And in my view. If you think about this line, of, if, you, if you follow this line of thinking, quite you know, to a, a logical conclusion, is that if you're going to get rid of tracking, what you'll realize is that your unit of measurement is wrong, and the unit of measurement being the user, an individual. You have some kind of human being, and you have an identifier for them, and then you track that identifier over time, and then when you do a report, you aggregate over identifiers as some kind of proxy for people. That unit of measurement needs to change. Anybody who's still thinking about it in terms of human beings doing things online, and I completely appreciate this is very, very controversial, yeah? Like, you know, you know anybody who's still thinking about that as the unit of measurement is going to be affected to some degree, you know, could be little, could be lots. Interesting. I completely agree with that. And I think that there's, this is this whole topic I find exhausting to try to stay up to date on. Like I know things are bad, but like remembering and teasing it apart. So like thank you, um, Karen, others in this field who keep track of all that so they can educate us because that is just not the way my brain is wired. But I think that like there's also some like really simple things that you can do to just shift your focus to not have to chase these things down. Um, like. Uh, when I first started in web analytics, um, Chris Borden was someone that was my mentor at the American Medical Association. And I spent a ton of time in these analyses, like how many visits did someone have until they converted and doing things like that. And he's like, 
listen, this is so imperfect. There's so many issues with this. And this is like, you know, five years ago. And he was like, honestly, like, I like to think about a session or a visit as a new opportunity to deliver on what your user wants from you. And so like, if you just think about it as an independent opportunity, then you don't have to worry about, is it new, repeat, whatever, getting into all those details, and then just adjust your math for like between groups versus within groups. So don't assume like your, to your point here, that every single person is going to only be in control, but that they could be a part of either of your groups, right? So if you adjust the math and when you're running your t-test to, to look um, not between, but within groups, that's a way to help make sure that you're taking the right amount of risk. And so I think that the tools are going to take some time to catch up, but like, I think there's a lot of like practical things that you can do to shift your mindset just to make sure you're not shooting yourself in the foot, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, full disclosure, I am a vendor. This is, you know, one of my, you know, pet things and I care a lot about it. vendors around over here. <laughs> yeah, so to take the argument Val just said, and if you continue with it a few steps, what you've been describing is that your, actually, your unit of measurement is actually interactions, user interactions on the website. And that fundamentally is the unit of measurement in my tool that I've built. Because it just says that we are not going to use the user as the denominator. We're not we're going to use interactions. And if you so happen that you've done a test that increases the number of interactions and how you define interaction is very, very important, right? Because, you know, that, that's your unit of measurement now. Um, how, uh, it, and then it's increased that and then you ski an, an uptick further down in conversion, whatever the conversion happens to be then you know you're on the right path on something. So that, coupled with customer research, the qualitative side of things, you know, I think will give you a very, very good idea about what's going on on the website. Nice. Tim, you've been quiet all along. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, I was looking, quickly looking for a, um, a website. So Val was saying it's hard keeping track. SIBO uh, Harbor has actually got a mm -hmm. website up with the current or the latest known state for uh, cookie compliance and cookie You want to put that link the in browsers. the chat as well for people to have a look at as well? Yeah, if somebody can find it, I was trying to subtly search for the problem is I've got kind of coloured screens at the moment so I don't glow orange. Right. As soon as I bring a search window up, I suddenly go bright white so it's hard to hard, <laughs> hard to do subtly because the colour changes. Um, yeah, I, I think kind of goes back to the point we were making earlier on. I think if we're optimizers, not A-B testers, then we... It's a shame that we're losing the faux accuracy we currently have, because it's not really people <laughs> at the moment feel, already. Yes. <laughs> but actually, that was perhaps a false a sense of security we had already. But if we're looking at kind of overall pieces and we're aware of, you know, if, oh, no, I can't say for sure that if an uptick in that conversion metric has done it, well, did, did more stuff go out the door? Yes. Have we, since we've been doing this, sold more product? Yes. Is the names that's on the invoices, which we are allowed to keep, in fact, required to keep by law, different enough? Can we do a count in terms of cookiestatus.com? See, I knew it was something. I went for cookie cutter. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah um, cookie status. Thanks, uh, Seb, for posting that link. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Seb. I, I, think, I think kind of that overall piece, it comes back to that kind of, if we take a holistic approach, instead of going, I've got a photo, I've got a session recording of this one person going through the map, we go back and start thinking of our analytics in terms of a click stream, in terms of, I don't have a photo, but I have got a heat map. I can see the hot areas and I can see when I change things, areas that were hot get less hot and areas that weren't hot get hotter. I can't say for sure 
how many people contributed to that, which means the maths overall works out slightly differently, but I can say an effect was seen. And that's really all we're doing at the moment. The, the t-test and all the kind of statistics we've got makes it easier. And I think that's where the, the current mindset is and the analyst mindset is. But I think uh, a lot of the tracking I set up is, is more down to clickstream stuff anyway. I'm less bothered about, um, in fact, I actively hash any client IDs and stuff come down just for GDPR purposes anyway, but also just for database size, log old hashes, quite quite big to store in tash is not so big to store just it comes down to simple i don't care i never need to reconstruct that i just have a rough idea of how many people went through this way and then i can still can look and you can still look we talk about heat maps and that's the visualization but you can look at clusters you can look at kind of like abc sequencing like which order did these things happen in a period you know timestamps they're not pii we can we can collect timestamps the order things happen in, is that the order you designed it to happen in? Does that match the order that the users you have observed during qualitative testing did it in? Or is something jumping backwards and forwards between these things that looks more botty? You know, it's it's not what we're used to, so it'll be scary and there'll be some rebalancing and there'll be some overcorrection. But we never were as accurate as we thought we were anyway. So having a wider picture about this aren't this isn't just money in the bank yes or no win it's about the nuance of how we got to have money in the bank and why the customer wanted to interact with us in the first place which i think ties neatly into that push we've seen over the last few years to say look the companies that do this really well aren't the full stack teams or the tribe teams all the ones the ones who do really well with this long term are the ones who user centric they they are using the tool to try and get the best for the user and that what tends to happen then is the user is more likely to volunteer or log in or do things which make tracking maybe not the full audience but a cohort of the audience gives you some further validation and they also follow more reliable patterns things you, you know it's a known behavior therefore you can see differences more easily so it's, it's going to reward that kind of activity there's a lot to John pick and I, mostly i agree with you but there's there's one thing i'm going to say that <clears throat> I completely agree that saying that CRO is actually about optimization, where optimizers were not, uh, you know, A-B testers. testers. Yeah. Uh, we're not the testing monkeys, I like to call it. You know, we're, we're, we're not PhD students in the lab where the, you know, principal investigator is, you know, hurting us, which this discussion has been reminding me of a lot of those years <laughs> in my life. Um, one of the things that has come out from, you know, the, my, the block metric product that I've built is that, when you look at how the website functions with all these trackers installed, is that all the conversions that you are measuring are despite you giving the users a terrible experience. So when you overload, and I use that word intentionally, when a page is overloaded with trackers, because everybody wants to measure Facebook and Twitter and Google Analytics and Adobe and all of these things, they put all these tags on, and that makes the user experience of the page terrible. It slows it down at the very least. So whatever numbers you are doing, you are actually measuring something despite the worst experience you've given your users. The people who've blocked all of these things get a much nicer experience and they still convert. Mm. <laughs> and so when you start thinking about like, you know, we're not as accurate as we thought we were, actually, yes. And there's a lot of, you know, if you think about yourself as giving users an optimized process, you're already making it worse by trying to measure it. That's that Schrodinger's conversion then, isn't it? Sorry? <laughs> Schrodinger's conversion. Like yes. you, you're spoiling it by measuring it. Um, one of my, 
One of my predictions for the future, just quickly, um, is actually one of the things that you mentioned, Tim. I think that companies are going to be leaning into reasons for people to create account and log in, even if it's not like an e-commerce based site and thinking about an investment in content marketing or what's the value that we could put behind free walls so that we can get people to authenticate. Cause that's the only way that we're going to get like personalization to, to really thrive and avoid what Gardner is saying. Like, is like, it's not really the tech of the actual, personalization tool, we've got that nailed down. Yeah. It's getting our CDPs and our data management in order and creating value for people to want to give us information. Not, I fully not agree. I, I think I'm surprised people aren't doing it more. <laughs> the problem we're going to have is when the technical barrier gets higher, as Pierre was saying, that desperate need to kind of, we need to measure is you're going to start seeing, as we already do with like playing whack-a-mole with pop-ups saying, do you want permission for this guy? <laughs> It's it, like the improvement in UX from GDPR and, and all the, the privacy laws has been horrific. If anything's given us an uptick in blocking JS across the board, so nothing runs until I bloody give it permission, it's been that sort of stuff. But I think we're going to see much more in the way dark patterns first off. I think that there's going to be a kind of a, a land grab, a gold rush for, well, we must have them logged in because then we still got currently first party yeah. permission to do a little bit. The people are going to kind of give up their their user data over their cold, dead, clammy cookie hands <laughs> reluctantly as hell. I think it's 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 a it's a paradigm shift which I don't think is necessarily in place. Most of the mechanisms are in place. You look at how the you know, the reason we've got GDPR and enforcement and the browsers kicking in is because cookies, which were supposed to be useful to the customer to retain state of something the customer would not need to worry about, you know, what's in my basket and stuff. Remember my favorite stories are now being used to follow them around the web and reduce the cost of advertising for people. And that's that misuse of that particular tech is why we've had the reaction we've got and the layering of more and more and more and more and more vendors without thinking about the cost to your conversions as well as the cost to the page speed has got to the point where the, the consumer has said, no, thanks, I've had enough. And the EU actually recognised that and has put some measure in place to do something about it. I think it's all a little bit up in the air. So the next two, yeah. three years will be fun. But I think the 10 years following, we should see a more mature kind of classic marketing picture where one of the tools is part of this, but actually better content value, better incentive, creating a club, creating things that add value to the user will be the way you win. But initially, we'll see people... You know, with the, the impossible to close and the dark patterns and the buttons yeah. labeled the wrong way around just to trick people into signing into an account they didn't want in the first place. So there are two things I want to add on top of that is uh, personalization being affected by 2025, as Gartner says. I wonder if this is what impacts the, the ability to personalize or the ability to get that ROI from personalization as well. That's one of the thoughts. The second thing is 10 years ago, um, the iPhone was probably still fairly new, right? It was just what iPhone 3G or something like that, or four, or whatever. And now, you know, what are the next? What's the next leap in devices that people are going to be trying to convert? Their Interfaceless. Customers? Interfaceless, right? Okay. Go on. What's your what's your prediction predictions on there, Val? Go on. Well, I mean, like, I think that not being able to have a UI to interact with has caused people to behave differently. Like, I know that there's a lot of content out there about how people are adjusting their SEO and SEM because when you say, 
hey Alexa, I don't want to say it too loud. <laughs> Yell back at me. Um, but when you say those things, it's different than what you would type out. And so it's like a different game, right? And so figuring out how we take advantage, like why why wouldn't that be next? You know what I mean? Like I think that one of my other predictions is that it's going to infiltrate more things. Like we talked about testing on web and mobile app, according to CXL, is still kind of um, a, the, the wild, wild west. But I think, you know, testing on other devices, kiosks, chatbots, SMS, like there's, it's going to infiltrate other parts of the, the user journey to use the <laughs> buzzword, right? So. I agree with that. And I'd add one device that people always forget, which is cars. Cars? Cars. Totally. Oh, totally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, cars are getting increasingly smarter. I would I use that word because it's a marketing lingo. I don't believe they're actually more intelligent. And uh, also the Internet of Things, you know, anything that is connected in the house is going to be a problem. So I work in the industry. We will never, ever have an IoT device in this household as long as I'm alive and it is in the current crop of thinking. Okay. Uh, why? Because I understand the privacy implications and they're wrong. The way they're built right now, they're just not the right thing. Cars are still even worse than that because suddenly people who know how to make big machines are doing software and they don't realize the privacy implications of that. So in my mind, these two, like, you know, to, add, <clears throat> to talk about interface lists and other devices, these two are, I think, are going to be huge going forward. I have a very American attitude towards that, which is bring it on, but I'm going to be pissed if it does it wrong. Like if I get served an ad and I've already purchased the product, I'm one of the people who gets frustrated. Like I'll try to hunt that person down on LinkedIn and be like, you, you aren't spending your money right. But like when I search something on my Alexa or Google home, like I wanted that to show up on my phone. Like I want it to all work for me. Like I've relinquish that control. I don't feel like I can control it. So I am doubling down on it. Oh, you've given up. I like it. <laughs> uh, for, you, for you guys in the audience uh, uh, watching this right now, <laughs> what do you think is the next leap in, in technology or devices that's going to be where, you know, where we're going to be optimizing experiences? Uh, so yeah, I, th I think uh, the internet of things is, is quite an interesting interesting conversation i think we could be here all day discussing like privacy implications about alexas and google homes and and um, smart cars i mean like um unlocking cars remotely and all that kind of stuff I, it's all in the news these days yeah see i'm gonna i'm gonna freak out pierre look i've, I've got like my internet thing light bulbs just just kitted the whole house out <laughs> Each to their own. Just and, and that, that was me controlling it, by the way. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm team Val on this stuff. It's like, like I, I, for one, welcome the robot overlords as long as what it does is cool. I've also got the advantage of, of uh, at the moment, they all run through my account. But according to Google's profile and Facebook's profile and everybody else's profile, I'm really into uh, Ryan's Toys World, um, Paw Patrol. No, not so much Peppa Pig, but Paw Patrol. Um, I'm re really into Minecraft at the moment. Bro and sis. And when I go to the gym for the third time that day, I'm really into 80s music. But when I go in the morning and listen to podcasts, it's 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 because at the moment they're all logged in, they're all logged in on my account. So I'm 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 actually obfuscating. It's a bit of steganography. It's it's behind the actual is is uh, behind all the, the the noise is the actual. But uh, yes, um, with swim trip in the morning, then me at the gym, the wife at the gym. There's three gym trips all on the same 
connected car, different times with different music playing. So the advertising I get is quite amusing, but it does rather spoil Christmas because I know what I'm getting already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, when I used to work at Google and I, because I was debugging all these websites that used to come to us, right? I once went into the, you know, my ad profile to see what I was interested in. And that is weird because yeah. I was looking at all these different websites. And- I, I reg- yes, I think if you, if you do a lot, because obviously I get going on e-com sites all the time, the amount of stuff I'm retargeted for is yeah. crazy because it's, it's yeah. the work computer, but different profile, Linux, Linux VM. I'm surprised we haven't mentioned AI. If we talk about the future and we're talking particularly about kind of pattern matching and click stream and not being able to identify the future, uh, whilst humans can look at a heat map and kind of go, oh, yeah, I can kind of see something putting a machine onto that and saying these things in this order and how does that improve or how does that compare within it is much more the domain of where the automated tools for optimization and whilst not personalization certainly matching behavioral patterns and then testing against those patterns to see if you can influence further behavioral changes that fits much better into the um, machine learning rather than ai i would say Um, side Three of patterns in large data sets, essentially. Yeah, uh, and, and, and we may well end up with you know a mess because you give machine learning without a proper set of parameters, and it ends up lowest common denominatoring it across the board because volume speaks. But it's it's interesting that we've had the kind of the future of optimization, and we we haven't met like the hot thing that's been in the market for the last couple of years, telling us it will be our future. And, not one of us has mentioned it so i thought i'd wave the flag even though i'm kind of being a bit dismissive of it all yeah well there are a couple of vendors out there that that talk about ai and machine learning right i'm not going to name names i don't know we're trying to keep it impartial on this podcast i suppose but like um there are a few of them and i think the ones that did try them out from what i heard anecdotal evidence the results were a bit average to underwhelming so where's the disconnect well, I think, aren't they just in the same part of the life cycle as we talked about MBT and AB 10 years ago? Possibly. Possibly. I think, I think, I think what we're talking about where we're having to get the patterns of behavior, the order of which things happen and how they, how they happen and kind of trying to, trying to at least sieve what better looks like <laughs> doing it at scale. That's well suited to that type of tool, that ML type um, setup. Um, how the uh, thing is fed, like what information, what inputs you give it and therefore what bounds you tell it to look for is going to be interesting because we don't have the accuracy but we do have the other tools but i think we are in a place where some of that stuff can very much kind of not bridge the gap but provide another tool in the tool set that will perhaps kind of yeah help help fill in some of the stuff the cracks that appear in kind of what is the current um setup at the moment so you, you said something very important here and i think that's kind of for all ml stuff where a large portion of ML tests that fail, fail, is that um, a lot of the ML stuff is about how the feature selection, which signals you feed into the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, and, you know, is it is it the right kind of data and also the volume and quality of the data you send in? So this is, is the, the buzzword is feature selection and then, you know, how you collect that and clean it up and do all of that stuff such that the model, when you run it, it actually produces reasonable results. Now, a lot of the data that we have now is sometimes you know, bent into shape and sent as features into an ML model. And if you do it that way without starting from the ground up, then you're probably doing it wrong. 
it's very easy to use the data that you have because you can convince yourself it's the right thing, although it doesn't actually give you, it doesn't pass the intuition test that, that is this really going to make my model predict something that is better for the user or for the business. You know? yeah. So this is where I think people fail and you're absolutely right, it's about the data going into it. Yeah, so I think that that's the question mark for that is, is we're going to have something we can feed it. It's just going to be a question of at what volume and how accurate it is. So it may well be those learning periods go up. It may be that the, the testing groups are wider and the kind of the period over which they've analysed are larger, which may mean it's only available for kind of serious players because they're the only ones who've got the numbers to make it work. But we are getting better at it. And just as we've got kind of better understanding everything else i think it's going to play a part in the next few years whether that is just plug and play but the results are muddy or whether it's going to be an enhancement upon an already mature optimization and user user experience user involvement customer lifetime you know, value improvement program whatever well, whatever three letter acronym we come up with for the next phase of this yeah it's it's you know getting the machines to do some of this math is going to be harder especially when we're talking about oh it's going to be different math it's not going to be simple t-tests we're going to be looking for patterns and k clusters etc cetera, etc cetera. yes we can do that but it's a damn sight easier if you've got a machine watching that the whole time yeah. and then going you didn't spot this pattern because you're a human and i'm a bot no sensible. <laughs> Val, what's your take on that? <laughs> I think back to my my hype curve that this is the, one of the areas where we've had the highest peak of <laughs> expectations, and so we're going to crash the hardest yeah. on it. Um, I think that one of the things that people forget is there still has to be a human who decides what those inputs are. Like you still have to be smart about the components of those variations, why you're choosing those. Like it's not like you don't run and, and I know that auto allocate isn't exactly, you know, what we're the farthest reaching part of this whole space, but like you don't run those tests because you're not sure which one will win. That's not the solution to that. And that's why I don't think that even with um, automated notifications and some of the sensei stuff with target, whatever, like that's never going to replace our jobs because like that's still not insights and it's still not helping us learn why things are working or resonating. Right. And the, the one thing that I think that the gardener piece, I do think that they have correct is that the personalization is only as good as the use cases of the person who's deciding what they are and the availability of accurate data to decision on like what you guys were talking about so like building out those profiles and i think that that's why some of the tools who have positioned themselves as personalization first like a dynamic yield or an ever gauge that they've gotten into the cdp business because they realize like listen our tool is not going to be able to do what we promise unless we have ready available well-structured data defined by a profile at the correct grain when the site you know, loads or whatever. So I think that my, my hypothesis is that's why they've made that play because they're like, we can't rely on what you have. We got to own this ourselves, right? So um, I think that this will always, I think this will always sit alongside us. Yeah, I think that this is something that's going to help us be better at our jobs and get us, you know, more efficient, but it's never going to take over our jobs, never going to be the primary focus of our programs because you still have to learn about what's resonating and what's working to decide what variations are worthy of throwing into that because garbage in garbage out right yeah, yeah that's what i was going to say i think the thing the thing here is the um 
the human part of this remains, even if the role of the human in that game changes. Yeah. So uh, we, we're getting tools will mean stuff that you know I'm crunching today. Uh, I'm making, pushing some ones and noughts around to try and get some 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 pattern stuff, but that will be something where as long as it's set up and we're we're tracking the right kind of things for that that can just be run in the background and running all the time. The business questions need to be asked to suit the business, and they at the moment formulating the business questions remains a human's job coming up with the designs and the creative ways to solve for that remains a human's job and i don't know if you've seen the kind of the uh, machine learning generated kind of like inspirational quotes and like (laughs) and harry potter you know some of those are the most amazing (laughs) comedy but they are that there's that human piece that remains in there but if some of the legwork's can be there we used to walk everywhere then we got horses then we got carts then we got cars hoverboards. yeah hoverboards <laughs> still not hoverboards those those have got wheels on them like the yeah. segways i was oh, yeah they're, they're segways without the handle and we've been lied to um but the human has has simply taken that and gone okay that's a job i used to have to do and expend energy and effort on that is now taken care of and i'd see the same thing for those tool sets within the optimization space and within the general marketing and improving the customer space we say is that some of the stuff that takes legwork some of the cool tools out there which take these disparate data sets which aren't well suited to what we were talking about pierre was saying like we've got data so we're going to try and force it in actually there are tools now which take that painful uh, extract extract transform load process and will have a good stab at getting into the shape you would need to answer question one or question two which used to be days worth a data engineer's days worth now it still needs a data engineer right now to go Here's what I want it to look like before and after, and then to check it. But that lump of actual you know, hard work doing that is reduced, shall we say? It's not gone, but it's reduced. And I would see the same sort of ping, spotting patterns, looking at the analytics, going which page is underperforming based on whatever criteria we say are underperforming. Currently, still fairly manual. We've got some basic alerts, but it's still that's the sort of thing where I think the time saving will there free us up to be more creative about how we can do that whilst we don't have the user user focused or user reported version of the data. Um, so that's kind of where I hope the decade ends out is we start using these tools for um, the efficiency they could provide to us to free us, us up to do the cleverer stuff because otherwise we're going to end up just you know ruining it like we did kind of cookies and everything else going well we we took this big chainsaw and decided to cut down all the trees rather than make a house and it's, like, it's all about the mindset though right yeah. i think i posted something on, on linkedin the other day a fool with a tool is still a fool it's like yeah. if you approach this thinking like yeah it's going to just be like auto magic just like you know, just leave it out there and let it do its job. Then you get Harry Potter inspirational quotes, right? Mm. But if you if you really start with the mindset, of, this is why we're approaching it this way, having having done the groundwork to, for the tool to then you know take that and put the information out the other end, that's going to be where the value is. But again, it's all about the mindset. So you know, I just uh, that that's my two cents in that. Um, in this thing. So um, I know we've kind of gone way over time over here. <laughs> we've just been chatting away. So if anyone has any final questions, I know like we've, we've, uh, we've kind of um, gone way over and above the time that we set. Uh, if anyone has any final questions, um, but if not, then I think w- we should wrap up over here. I think we've covered quite a lot of different points. I'll try and summarize this in some sort of blog post that I can share with you guys. <laughs> 
for everyone who spent time with us, appreciate that. For Val, um, you know, uh, the time you've given, uh, Tim, and also for Pierre for jumping in on Tim's email uh, invitation. Some GDPR infractions there, but yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I'm aware of it. Solution-oriented. Solution That's what it was. We needed the boy to come on, so. But for all of you attending, uh, thank you again. Uh, for those of you listening in the future, uh, this is the last show of the series in 2019. Uh, last we, one of the decade, mate. Last, last one, one of the, of the decade. decade as well. So we won't see you for until the next decade. Uh, but uh, if, you, if you want to catch up uh, on uh, the episodes over the Christmas break or the holiday break, uh, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All the episodes are on there. We'll be back sometime around April or May with a bunch of new episodes and new discussion points. Hopefully, uh, the world hasn't melted down by then. But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> right. that, that's the main reason we want Series 3 to happen. So, therefore, uh, the world has to stay. Let's, let's hope there's no global catastrophe. Otherwise, we'll be <laughs> Right. Thanks for watching. This is Manuel da Costa saying bye. Have a good a break. See you guys. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Conversion Nations. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when we release new updates. Conversion Nations is brought to you by Effective Experiments. Want to make experimentation a core part of your business? Request your demo and let us show you how we can help you grow your testing program.